Good morning. Uh, Todd Wifford is down south for you this morning, so if you'd stand, we'll sing together. no salvation for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill.
as the Lord God has gathered us to himself and how God has called us to worship, let's take a moment to pray together. Gracious and almighty God, we gather this morning as the body of Christ to give you thanks and worship for who you are and what you've done. As we come together this morning, may you prepare us for the week ahead by setting our hearts and our minds on you, Lord God, our creator and our redeemer. As we navigate our communion with you, our relationships with the people in our lives, and how we are to live in the world that you've blessed us with, please guide us, Lord God, by your word and by your spirit, and teach us to find rest in Christ alone. While we desire to rest in Christ and while we desire to walk in this communion with you, many of us are coming in this morning with feelings of restlessness, of loneliness, and feelings of doubt. Heavenly Father, many of us come this morning struggling to deal with the brokenness of the world around us, struggling with personal sins and, and personal failures, and just carrying the weariness of the past week. We ask, Lord, that you would heal our wounds, and we ask that you would restore our souls. Although we've suffered hardship, Lord, we trust in your covenant faithfulness that you would restore us to life again. We trust that your grace is greater than all of our sin and all of our mistakes. By your spirit and by the grace of Jesus, Lord, you have made us new, giving us new hearts and new passions. And may you strengthen us to honor you, Lord God, in the new lives that you've blessed us with through Christ and help us to lean on your everlasting arms and help us to lean on your word. We give you thanks and praise this morning, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, the children's worship is available to be dismissed and can meet Melinda in the back of the back door. <clears throat> We turn now to our time of confession and assurance. This is a time for us to recognize our need and our sin before God, and a time for us to claim God's forgiveness on us in Christ. We'll do this together corporately and also have a time of silent, personal confession. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit.
take a moment of silent personal confession. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the mercies of Jesus and for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May you help us and equip us to honor you and our neighbors in all that we might do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you will now stand with me, we'll read our words of assurance together from Psalm 118. Out of my distress, I called the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. As God has welcomed us and gathered us to himself in Christ, let us take a moment to welcome one another.
The New Testament lesson is from Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The gospel lesson is from Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you, put, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is good to be here. Uh, I've always enjoyed my time when I'm at Lincoln Square. I've been in the city for about 12 years and have either come here and worshiped or had the chance to preach. Um, and I've always enjoyed the time to be here. And I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time in uh, God's word with you. And we're going to talk about Psalm 3 together. Uh, Psalm 3 uh, was written by David during a very difficult time in his life. Uh, as the title says, you can see in your order of worship that, that David wrote this when he was on the run from his son, Absalom. Uh, David, a son Absalom, uh, behind his dad's back, had gained a following from the men of Israel. And once he had uh, a secure position with these people, he formed an army and he went and anointed himself king. And then he went into Jerusalem and he marched against his father and forced David to flee from his kingdom. You could read about this in 2 Samuel 15. And think about what an amazing scene this is. I mean, David uh, was driven from his throne, subjected to humiliation and, you know, terrible loss, not by a pagan enemy king, but by his own son. You would think David would experience the treachery of Absalom and the rejection of his son, and it would have crushed his heart. And it is during this time in his life that he wrote this psalm that we're about to read. So I'm going to read Psalm 3. You could join along in your order of worship or in the body. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. 
Many are saying to my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up against all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is God's word, and it's given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this chance we have to spend time in your word. I pray for whatever, uh, whatever we're feeling right now, whether we're anxious, whether we're tired, whether we're uh, upset, whether we're happy, whether we're numb. Father, we thank you that you meet us wherever we are, and you offer us opportunities to learn from you and your word. In your name, amen. Well, as Brian said, uh, my family recently moved to this neighborhood. My parents and I, we bought a two-flat together, and it's been great. But previously, before we lived here, we lived in Humble Park, and we loved that place as well. And one of the things I love the most is walking around that great park. And so about a year ago now, before we had moved here, I was walking in that park, and I was by the lagoon. If you've ever been there, there's a beautiful lagoon. And as I was walking by it, I felt something hit me on the back of my head. And I turned around, and I noticed that I got hit by a bird. And this has never happened to me before. I started laughing, and I actually got out and texted my family, I just got attacked by a bird. I kept walking in the park, and I walked by another area that I love to walk by, and wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden I got hit again by a bird. This time I saw what kind of bird it was. It's those black birds with the red on the wings. Well, I was kind of freaked out that I got hit by this bird and got home. I told my family twice in one day, this is crazy. Well, about a couple weeks later, I was in the park again, and I was thinking about being attacked by a bird, because that happened in this park. It was the first time back. And as I was walking, I started thinking, you know, I should use this in a sermon illustration one day. I'm not sure what, but I will use this somehow when I preach a sermon. And I kid you not, as I was thinking this, one of those birds hit me again in the back of my head. And now I have to tell you, honestly, we don't live near Humble Park, but we live near Horner Park. And when I walk by those birds, especially with the red on the wings, I think I'm going to be attacked. I assume every time I'm in a park, a bird is going to get me. And I got to tell you, I do think this is an illustration in our lives as well. Perhaps you feel this way. I know I do, that sometimes it feels like there's always going to be attack that's going to come upon you. You feel like there's always going to be a struggle or a pain or a disappointment. It feels like every time something bad is going to happen. And maybe you expect the worst is going to happen in your life. And we've had a rough few years that kind of shows us evidence that this might be true. Maybe you don't feel safe and secure right now. Maybe you feel fear and dread sometimes. Or maybe that's just the way you live your life now. David probably felt this way when he wrote this psalm. David had to feel fear and anxiety and dread. He was hiding in a cave, and his son with a huge army was out to kill him. So what did David do in his fear and in his struggle? He wrote a lament to God. He wrote this song of questioning and doubting to his God. And I love that the, the number one psalm in all the psalms are laments, cries to God, where are you? I need you. See, we live in a broken world, and I don't need to convince any of you in this room. We could just spend time looking at the news just this month about all the killings in our city, about the mass shootings that seem to happen more and more and more, about the pain and the suffering many are going through because the pandemic is not completely over. We live in a world where it looks like evil is winning. And we also live in a world where we're sometimes told to not think about that. The world maybe encourages us to avoid the pain, to escape the pain, to try to just think that pain is for them, not for us. And Psalm 3 does not do this. Psalm 3 is honest with the hardship and the pain. It begins with a complaint to God. See, David is in trouble, and he wants God to know how he feels. And I love that there is a staircase of despair in verses 1 and 2. Enemies are numerous, overwhelming in size. So David cries out, how many are my foes? They're aggressively making the situation urgent. So David sings, many are rising against me. 
and they are mocking him. They are debunking his faith and they're demoralizing his spirit. David writes, many are saying there is no salvation for him in God. This psalm is a cry to God for help. And it is the very cry that the enemies are mocking. In fact, in verse 2, it says the enemies say there is no protection from God. God isn't listening. God doesn't care. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the great late British preacher, writes this about this mocking. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. And maybe this is where you are presently today. Maybe you, if you're honest, will think there doesn't seem to be much help from God. Maybe you've been waiting and waiting and waiting on God and he doesn't seem to answer you. Perhaps some of you are struggling to see God in your situation, to see him in your pain. And I've been there. It is a hard place to be. So what do we do when it seems hopeless? What do we do when we are facing the same struggle, the same difficulty, the same problem over and over and over again? What do we do when we've tried everything else and it still seems hopeless? <laughs> well, in our psalm, we see a sudden shift in focus. David, in the midst of the struggles, not when the struggle was over, but in the midst of the struggle, turns from looking just at himself to looking to God. David turns from just looking at his situation to looking at his Savior. And the paralyzing power of fear and dread is broken when we turn to God. Verse 3 has these great words that shift the focus. But you, O Lord. David's not denying that he's still in a struggle. But he's focusing not just on the struggle, but on the Lord. But you, O Lord. See, a shift in focus was needed not just from what the enemies were saying about God, but let's be honest, David probably was questioning in that cave, can he trust God? And so he needed to turn to God, but you, O Lord, to focus more on confidence in God than complaint to God. And from that progression of despair that we read in 1 and 2, we see a progression of confidence in verses 3 and 4. It builds as he remembers God's provision. First of all, he calls God a shield about me. And I love that he doesn't say it's just a shield that he's holding, a shield in front of him to protect him from the enemies. It is a shield that completely covers him, his whole body. He's acknowledging a truth that is for us as well. Actually, two things I think we see in this cry that God is a shield around us. Number one, there are going to be struggles. We have never been promised that we won't face difficulties or attacks in our lives. Now, we're probably not going to have an enemy army out trying to kill us. But there are things in our lives that we are going to face as long as we live in this broken world. And it's going to be hard at times. Some of you, I don't know, I don't know most of you, but you're probably going through a trial right now. Maybe you're barely holding on and the situation seems too hard right now. So the second truth is important to believe, even when it is hard to believe, that God protects us in the struggle. That God provides a shield, not just that we have to hold on to and fight, but surrounds us from all sides and all attacks. Because here's the thing, as hard as it is, if scripture is to be believed, then we must believe we're not alone, even if we feel that way. If the Bible is true, which I think it is, then you are not alone in your struggles. We could cry out to God, but you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. And we could cling even just a little bit to that hope in our hardship. And then the second thing that David does that we see is he calls the Lord my glory. And I love this idea of my glory because David is acknowledging that any honor or any glory comes from God and God alone. David is placing his confidence not on himself and on his ability to get through this, but on God and his glory. And he's admitting that the glory, which literally means the weight or the significance that he has placed his hope on, must be in God because the other things he placed it on did not work for David. I mean, if you know anything about David's life, just think about uh, what he might have placed his confidence and glory in. I'd encourage you, it's a messy story, but if you read First and Second Samuel about David, you see things he could have placed his glory in that has failed him. For example, he was a great king. He was powerful. He defeated Goliath. His power and his reign must have been what he placed his glory in. But where is he right now when he's writing this? In a cave 
away from his kingdom. Maybe he placed his, 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 his glory in his popularity, that people loved him, sang to him, but that is all gone. He is on the run with a small group of an army. Maybe he placed his weight and his glory in his family, but his own son, his own flesh and blood wants him dead. Maybe he placed his glory on being called a man after God's own heart, which the scriptures do say. But I got to tell you, if you read First and Second Samuel, you are not going to find David often on the right side of things. In fact, David is often pretty selfish, arrogant, and sinful. You know, he realized in this place that the only thing he could place his glory in is in God and God alone. And that is my encouragement to myself and to you as well. Even good things that we like to place our significance in, a job that we love, a family, success, a good reputation, our moral standing that maybe is good. These are good things, but if we place them as the heart of our significance, as the weight of our glory, we will be let down time and time again. We must place our trust in God and God alone. And then finally, David calls God the lifter of his head. And the fact, again, that David is writing this in the cave is a very significant thing. Because when David left Jerusalem, he left defeated, despondent, dejected, and depressed. In fact, it says he hung his head in shame. 2 Samuel 15, 30 has these words. David went up to the ascent of Mount Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, and his head covered. And all the people were with them, covered their heads, and went up weeping as they went. This is what just happened to David, and this is what David is writing in this psalm. In his pain and in his weeping, he is confident that God will elevate his face and restore his hope. And David knows he needs his help, so in verse 4, he cries out to God, and God answers him from the holy hill, which is Jerusalem, Zion, the place of the Ark of the Covenant, where God has promised and pledged himself to be present. And again, where is David right now? Far away from God, in a cave, alone. David was calling on God, knowing that God answers, even in the midst of a situation. And can we have that confidence, even just a little bit today? Can we have that hope that God hears, that God cares? Can we just believe a little bit today that God loves us even in the midst of our pain? Because I, David says that in the pain and struggle in verse 5, it says, I lay down and I slept. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but whenever my anxiety and my struggles and my questioning about what's going on in my life, when it usually happens is 2 or 3 in the morning. And I don't sleep. I'm just laying there in bed anxious, not sure what to do. But David is sustained through the night. He's able to sleep even though his problems were not gone. In fact, in verse 6, it says that there were thousands of people have set themselves against him. The thing is, the situation has not changed, but his perspective has. The problem is still there. But David believes these words of hope in verse 5. The Lord sustains me. And again, you could see how flawed David is if you read First and Second Samuel. <laughs> he was foolish. He was selfish. He did some horrible things. But one thing you see over and over again in David's life is that he believed that God would sustain him. He had a faith that believed that God loved him, that God protected him, that God would lift up his head and answer his prayers. David believed that God had his back and that God truly loved him. And it is my hope that I can believe this as well. It's my hope for you that you can believe this as well, that you can know despite all your sin, despite all our selfish actions, Despite the fact that God calls us to things and we run the other way, the fact that we do not believe the thing God calls us to do, God has our back. God still cares for us. God deeply loves us. I was recently sharing with someone about something that happened years ago now when I was seeing a therapist, and I was explaining to my therapist a very difficult time in my life. Uh, things were going really bad at, at my work. One of my kids was going through a... a health issue, and our living situation was horrible. And I was sitting in this office, and I remember it vividly. I was looking down, sharing all the pain and the struggle I was going through. And I looked up, and my counselor had tears in his eyes. And it freaked me out. <laughs> I was like, why are you crying? 
And he's like, because this is so hard for you right now. And I immediately was like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, everything's fine. He's like, no, it is hard, and I am sorry. I will never, ever forget the look on his face as a reminder that it was hard and that someone heard me and that someone cared and that someone joined in in this with me. And I'm thankful that God used that counselor to remind me that I need that in my life. And I'm thankful I have people in my life now that walk through the pain with me, not trying to fix it, but just there empathizing with me in the pain. And I hope that for my community at Covenant and this community here, that you will be a place that you can know you're not alone. My prayer and my hope, and I know that the staff and the elders here and the pastors have this hope as well, is that this is a place where you can be honest with your story, honest with your pain, and know that you are not alone. It is a place where we don't just try to fix one another, but we acknowledge that we need a God to show up. Because if he doesn't, we're in deep trouble. And it is good to believe that God sustains us, that God loves us, and that God will provide for us. And it is this hope that allowed David to cry out to God to save him. David in verse 7 calls out to God to arise and save him, to have divine justice and righteousness to prevail. What David does is he asks God to do what God has always promised to do, and that is provide salvation. And God does this. God restores David's kingdom and helps him overcome his enemies. But we can have that same confidence as well. We have a God who longs for us to call upon him and say, please show up. We have a God who loves it when his children say, I need help. And we have a God who loves when we say, remember what you have promised to do? Do it. It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Blessings be on your people. We are always going to have struggles and hardships at times. We are going to have unanswered prayers in times of waiting. Some of you might be right in this moment now. And I don't have easy answers for you, and I don't think there are easy answers in the pain and the struggle. Because we don't always get what we want or what we think we need in our lives. But what we have to hold on to is the salvation that we truly need. The blessing that is promised to us is offered to us in our God. And may we believe that. And may it help us walk in faith even in the midst of difficult times. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that David can write about this salvation, not even knowing that one of his ancestors would be the true ultimate salvation that provides all that we need. We thank you for the hope that David had is the same hope that we can have, that you are a God that sees this broken world, that you enter into the world, you redeem the world, and you save the world. And until you come back and make all things right, may we believe this and may it motivate us on how we live and love and worship and serve you and others. In your holy name, amen. Please stand as we join this song.
faithful God who watches over and cares for your flock, we declare your majesty and worth. Despite seeing our disobedience in your mercy, you have extended life to a people who deserve death. We as a people counted righteousness by the faithfulness of your son, Jesus Christ. Join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, the unending hymn. One of the truths of the human heart is that we move towards the things that we love. It's a beautiful gift, a wonderful gift that, that God has both given us, that we move to uh, the things that bring us delight and joy, that, that, that fill us up. And yet, as we move towards that, it's also a reminder that we can move to the things that break down, that bring trouble that invite a, a, a brokenness and a rebellion and a sadness, right? That we love the things that aren't meant for our good. And yet it's around this reality that, that we are invited to this table. Because the truth is that God actually he, it moves towards the things that he loves. This table is a reminder of that reality that God moves towards us in our sin and our brokenness, even as in our trouble and our suffering in the ways that we've been betrayed or denied or dismissed or rejected. It's an invitation to come and to receive the, 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 the provision of God, to receive his love and his grace and his mercy. And it's a table that, that not only does, does God invite us into, but he moves into fully to make atonement, to, to bring a covering for all of our sin, all of the brokenness, all the ways that we, our hearts turn away from him. And he offers us a meal in the very intimate moments. Um, and so I pray, uh, so this is, this is real simple for us as God's people. If we believe that, if we have in faith turned to Christ, then come and eat and be nourished in your faith. Father, thank you for this table. We pray that you would set it apart from a common use to a sacred and holy one, that you would come and by your spirit meet us and nourish us in our faith through this bread and wine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Well, we're going to come down. I'm, I'm actually invite the servers to come forward to the rail. Um, we're going to come down the center aisles, receive both the bread and the wine uh, to go back on the sides. And I'd ask that you would hold the elements until we've all been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. Uh, if you're not coming forward for the communion this morning, um, you're welcome to still come forward to receive a blessing. If you'll come to my line, um, just, just put your hand across your chest and I'll offer a blessing for you. So let's come eat from the table.
body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat and pray. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Father, we are grateful for your mercy, your mercy that comes to us in our suffering, in our, in our sadness, in our grief, in our pain, in our brokenness, to deliver us, to, to set us free and to rescue us from the darkness and sin and death, to give us new life. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, having come to the table, let's stand together to respond in our prayer and also with our song. Jesus, our shepherd, gather your flock under the protection of your care and promote a willingness in our hearts to be led by you. Grant by your spirit that we may live in obedience towards you, resting in the peace and security of your guidance as we proclaim the mystery of faith. together from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Amen. You may be seated. Well, we continue our worship through the giving of our gifts and offerings. Um, before we do that, though, I want to just uh, remind people that there is a time of fellowship right after the service. We'll meet over at McPherson Hall. Please join us. Um, have uh, drinks and just a, a time to, to, to spend some time together. Also, um, uh, yeah, our <laughs> we're invited by God in his generosity into, uh, into fellowship, into relationship with him. And so as a response to him and to his generosity, let's come and, and, and give of our own good gifts to him. You can come now. stand together for our doxology.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace now and always.